Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? You might say Jesus was an amazing, an amazing person whose teachings are, are the foundation of our moral and, and ethical behavior. Who is Jesus? You might say Jesus was a remarkable man who cared for the poor and the, the disenfranchised. Who is Jesus? You might say Jesus was a courageous leader who, who d- didn't deal very well with hypocrisy and, and he berated the abuse of power. Who is Jesus? You might say Jesus was easy to like, and he certainly was, but is that where it ends? Is that all that Jesus was? Is that all that Jesus is? I remember having a discussion with a lady who happened to be from the Hindu faith, and in the building next door, what we call Building 105, is where our Taekwondo classes have met, our martial arts lessons have met for years and years and years. And I remember I was running the classes at the time, and I did an enrollment, and a lady came in with a couple of her children, and I sat down with her and enrolled her kids in the program and explained that this is a Christian program, and she seemed to be fine with it. You know, the Hindu faith believes in like thousands of different gods, and so she was fine with it. So I thought, well, I've got a moment while I'm doing the paperwork with her. I'm going to go ahead and ask her a question, and the question that I asked her was, was, was pretty simple. What do you think of Jesus? What do you think of Jesus? To which her response, I'll never forget it, she said, oh, Jesus, he was a good man and a wise teacher. He was a good man and a wise teacher. It was a well-intentioned statement, don't you think? Yes, sure it was. And of course, I leaned into that statement quite a bit. And we had a conversation, which is a, a story for another time that I can tell you where that conversation went from there. But her answer, he was a good man And a wise teacher is what I want to spend the few moments that I have with you today talking about as we continue on in our series, the story. The story is the Bible, the New International Version of the Bible. It's not the entire Bible. They didn't intentionally take things away from it, but it's written in a novel format. Uh, Nothing is taken out of context. It's all there for you, but it helps us understand the flow from beginning to end in chronological order of God's Word. And in this book, 31 chapters, we're taking one chapter every week. If you haven't been here for it, uh, it's okay. You're going to catch on very quickly today because we're in the Gospels today. We've made it from the Old Testament through all 39 books. Books, and we're into the first four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This statement, he was a good man and he was a wise teacher. We're going to understand through this that Jesus was so much more than a good man and a wise teacher. Who is Jesus? That's the big question. That to me is the hinge of all history. C.S. Lewis said, you're going to have to decide who Jesus is is. And he talked about this in what's called the trilemma. It's like a dilemma, a trifecta, kind of put together a trilemma. And he said there's uh, three different choices. And he said this, he said, you're going to have to decide if Jesus was a liar, if Jesus was a lunatic, or if Jesus was Lord. He's got to be one of those three. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's, or he's Lord. But I can tell you what, what he's not is he cannot be a good man. Well, you're like, wait a minute, Jesus was a good man? Jesus cannot be a good man because, listen, uh, that's not a choice. Because for someone who claimed to be the son of Almighty God, he, he would have had to either be a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. But this limits him way too much. 
He wasn't a good man. So today, we get to go on a road trip, baby. We're going to go on a road trip together for the next few minutes. Buckle up, because we're going to have a great time. I'm going to show you where we're going as we do this, but join me. Kind of get yourself in the, in the, in the place, because we're going to go on this road trip together, and we're going to answer three different questions. Question number one, all questions Jesus asked. Number one, Jesus asked, who am I? Who am I? And this takes place in a region called Caesarea Philippi. All right, so this is Israel, and so this is up north in Caesarea Philippi. Now, we're gonna leave the map up there because I want you to understand most of Jesus' ministry when he was on earth took place in Judea. Most of it took place way down in the southern part of this map. But in this case, Jesus takes his his posse, he takes his disciples, and they go for a, a, a journey together. They go on a vacation, and he says, I want to teach you something, so we're going to go all the way from the region of Judea, from Jerusalem, we're going to go all the way up to this region known as Caesarea Philippi. So that's where you and I are at right now, in Caesarea Philippi. Normally, Jesus would stay down south, but he wants to take him there to explain something to them. That's the only reason they're going. The primary reason they're going is because he wants to teach them something. And, and, and you gotta understand, um, this, this could not, it seems to me you could have picked a better place than Caesarea Philippi to teach a lesson. Because um, Caesarea Philippi was to religion what Walmart is to shopping. Uh, let me explain what I mean by it. Every conceivable variety was there in that place. You know what I'm talking about, yes? And every conceivable variety was right there in Caesarea Philippi. It was a cross-section of religious claims of that day. The city was located in the northern part of the Galilean uh, Empire, of the Galilean region, and, and Jesus, Jesus was trying to answer the question, have them answer the question, who am I? And And up here is the is known as Pan uh, Pan uh, was worshipped up here. Panion was a region up in the northern part. It's not listed, but it should be kind of up here. Panion was up here in Caesarea Philippi. Panion named after the Greek god Pan. Just so you understand what I'm talking about and why Jesus took them here, this is pretty important. Um, a couple of centuries before Jesus. Um, this Greek god of Pan was honored by the people. They built a temple to the Greek god of Pan up here. And that temple, they created an entrance or kind of a hole down into the temple. They called this temple the gates of Hades, uh, the entrance to it, the gates of Hades, the gate of hell. And the way they would worship this Greek god of Pan is they would kill children they would murder children and they would throw their dead corpses down there to honor to honor the Greek god of Pan. Out of the Greek god of Pan, we get the word pantheism or pantheistic. Yeah, I don't know if you really care about that, but let me kind of help you understand why that's important. Because we believe that we worship one God found in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We worship God. But pantheistic people believe that there are thousands of different gods, multiple gods that are all on the same level. And it all came out of this region. And Jesus is like, you know where we're going to go, boys? We're going to go up north. Because I've got a lesson that I want to teach to you. And I tell you all that little history so that you can understand why Jesus took them to this region to teach them this important, this important part. 
Many generations before that, there was, you might remember in the Old Testament, this is where they began to worship the God of Baal. All sorts of false gods are up north. This was a place that was infested with idol worship. And it's in this place that Jesus takes his disciples and asks them the question, who do people say that I am? Who am I? And the disciples begin to kind of spitball answers to Jesus very rapidly. Some say Elijah, some say Elisha, some say Jeremiah, some say another one of the the prophets from the Old Testament. And then Jesus begins to make it personal for them. And we're gonna read it from page 353 if you've got your your book with you. If not, we're gonna put it on the screen, make sure everybody's on the same page. The top of page 353, chapter 25. This is Matthew 16, verse 15 and 16. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Now, now the, the, uh, the storybook uh, stops there, um, but the rest of the verse, as recorded in the NIV, says, you are the Messiah, son of the living God. Son of the what? The living God. Because everywhere around them, if we can put that back up there again, that map, please. Everywhere around them, up in this region, were, were a bunch of dead gods. There wasn't one God that was still alive. Jesus was alive, and Jesus still is alive. And so Peter acknowledges that and says, you are the son of the living God. Jesus, Jesus, if, if he's the son of God, that he can't simply be a wise teacher or a, a good man. That's a slap in the face. And so who is Jesus? Well, Jesus told us when he spoke of himself with the phrase that he used, and you read it this week over and over again, he said, I am the, the son of man, the son of man. In fact, this appears 80 times in the Gospels, 79 of which Jesus is speaking about himself. I'm the, the son of man. And it sounds kind of humble, doesn't it? Well, that's a very humble thing to say about yourself, the son of man. He doesn't seem to be kind of throwing around the fact that he is God, that he, that he is his deity. It sounds like he's simply saying that he's the son of man, that he's a, he's a man. But there's something about this. Let me give you a really quick bunny trail uh, Old Testament lesson, and we'll come right back to this. I think it's going to help you. Daniel, the Old Testament prophet, spoke of the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7, and here's what he said. This is like like 1,500 years earlier. In, In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man, coming with clouds, with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So when Jesus refers to himself as the son of man, do you know what he's saying? He's saying, I am God. I am the Messiah. And I'm sure people thought, what a nut job. He's crazy. He's got to be a lunatic. He's referring to himself as the Messiah, the Son of God. But the more they experienced the way that Jesus loved, the more they realized there's something pretty amazing about this man. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I love them all, but I really appreciate the gospel of John and the way that John wrote it under God's direction. I'm kind of a map guy. I kind of like things mapped out for me so that I can see the big picture. And the way the gospel of John is laid out, it's laid out in three series of seven things. I'm not sure if you knew that or not, but the first thing that John speaks of is he gives us these seven I am statements about Jesus. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. Some of you might remember some of those because each Easter I do an illustrated message to talk about the resurrection of Jesus and who he is. And for the last seven years, I've taken one of these each year and we've dissected these and talked about these. So now you kind of know what we've looked at, right? These are the seven I am statements. What Jesus said about himself. Then John follows up with seven, seven miracles. Seven miracles that are recorded that demonstrate that Jesus can do anything. Starting off with turning water into wine and raising the dead and bringing them back to life again. And then John continues with seven eyewitnesses who say, you are the son of God. From Nathaniel to, to Thomas, who we know was doubting at the beginning, but these seven witnesses confirm, you are the son of God. Perhaps the boldest assertion that Jesus made. Uh, he, he asserts in John chapter 8, verse 58. If you're looking in your, in your book, turn to page uh, 358. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. I am. What, what, was, what was Jesus saying with this when he, when he, it's the same thing. Remember when Moses went before God and God introduces himself to Moses in the form of the burning bush and take off your sandals, you're standing on holy ground. And we read this several weeks back. And, and early in the, in the story, in the study, God says to, says, Pharaoh, uh, tell, uh, Moses, tell Pharaoh, I am sent you. <laughs> Jesus is saying, I am God. Is anybody with me this morning? Say yes. Jesus also claimed to be able to forgive sins. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or, or he's, he's Lord. Because this is a privilege that only God himself can exercise. Jesus claimed to be greater than Jonah, to be greater than Solomon, to be greater than Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, to be greater than John the Baptist, one of his best friends. He claimed to be even greater than the Sabbath. He's greater than the temple. I mean, these things, that's pretty arrogant to say, unless it's true. He said that his words, his words would outlive heaven and earth. And he said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. The first question Jesus asked his disciples, way up in that northern region of Caesarea Philippi, surrounded by all these fake, false, dead gods, is who am I? Most of the world acknowledges Jesus as a good man, as a wise teacher. But the correct and complete answer is, Jesus is God. Question number two. Jesus asks, why am I here? 
This time, we're going to take a look at the map, and we're going to go down south. They were up in Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus takes them on another road trip. Here we go. Giddy up, baby. Here we go, because we're going down south, all the way down south to the area of the region of Bethany, way down south. Jesus wants them to answer the question, why am I here? But he knows that the best way for him to communicate the answer to that question is through an illustration, is through a real-life demonstration. While they're heading down to Bethany, uh, while they're, they're not there yet, but while they're heading down, Jesus in the process heals and delivers and strengthens and teaches and does all the things that Jesus does. But while they're heading down there, Jesus gets word that one of his dearest friends named Lazarus is very, very sick. Well, Jesus' disciples say to him, they say, well, you know what, we should go. I mean, he's like one of your best friends other than us 12 disciples. Surely you want to go. You're healing a bunch of strangers. Surely you want to go heal your friend, uh, Lazarus. And Jesus, for one reason or another, he doesn't go. And he stays where he's at. And eventually, Jesus shows up four days after Lazarus had died. Four days after he died. Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. One of them was a great um, hostess, uh, and one of them was a, was a great um, prayer warrior, right? So they, they had these two things, but here's the deal. How many of you know if you get two sisters ticked off at you, you really don't want to go in their area, right? You know, it's like, okay, these two, Jesus is walking into this, this, this town, and he knows Mary and Martha, uh, well, they're really upset with him. And so he has to walk into this relationship knowing that he's shown up four days late. Have you ever shown up late for something that was really, really important? And I want you to picture the scene four days after Jesus, after Jesus, he, he got there, but after Lazarus' death on page 359 at the bottom, John chapter 11, this is how it goes. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And you might know by now that one of the most powerful miracles in the entire Bible is fixing to happen. Jesus, after he has this conversation with the sisters, goes, goes to the tomb where Lazarus has been buried, dead, buried, wrapped up, stinking, um, at four days gone. And he gets up to that, to that rock or stone or blockage or whatever it is in front of this, and Jesus... <coughs> Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible says the Lazarus comes back to life and he, and he comes out and he says, remove the grave clothes from him. That's maybe the most powerful you know, verse or, or words or, or, or it's powerful stuff when you hear it. But, but let, let me tell you, Lazarus come forth might be the most dramatic statement in the Bible. But what Jesus said to Mary and Martha is the most important statement. They said to Jesus, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. And Jesus says in verse 25, I am 
the resurrection, and the life. He who believes in me, though they were dead, yet shall they live. Lazarus, come forth. That has implications for one man. I am the resurrection and the life. That has implications for all of us for every single one of us. See, Jesus is answering the question in this illustration with his friend Lazarus, who he let die to show the disciples, why am I here? Don't misunderstand. It's not because I'm gonna bring Lazarus back to life again. It's because I wanted to have an opportunity in a real life incident, a real life illustration to explain to you (laughs) that I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, even though you die, you will live again. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. The answer he came, he, that he brought was, he's saying, listen, I came to give you new life. I came to give you new life on this earth that's abundant, and I came to give you new life after death that's eternal. Now, in both locations, Jesus told in Caesarea Philippi up north, on the road trip up north, and down south in Bethany, in both locations, Jesus had told his disciples, I'm gonna die. You need to know this, I'm gonna die. And they didn't get it. And we read the Bible and we're like, well, you guys were a bunch of knuckleheads. Why couldn't you get this? It's because we're seeing the story um, in its fullness. But have you ever looked back on your life and gone, now I get it, right? Now I understand why I was going through what I was going through. But at the time when you're going through it, you don't understand. That's where the disciples were at. At the time, they just, they had no idea why Jesus was saying that he is, he is going, he's going to die. Meanwhile, back in Jerusalem, just a few miles down the road, something is a brewing. People are getting ticked off. The religious leaders, I don't know how they found out about it. Maybe they got an email, I'm not sure. But they found out about up here what Jesus had done, all the people he had healed. Extra, extra, read all about it. Maybe they got a paper on the front. I'm not sure how it happened. But somehow they got the news that Jesus had been claiming to be the Messiah. Jesus had said, I am God. And the religious leaders of the day were mad, hot as a hornet. And they began to plot, they began to plan how they were going to kill this man named Jesus. Now, I gotta tell you, when I, th- when I think about this, um, the, the story is going to end that Jesus does indeed die. But not because of their desires, but because of his willingness to pay for our sins. And we're gonna talk about that in, in two weeks. So chapter 26 is in two weeks. I'm telling you what, the next couple of Sundays, you don't wanna miss. We're talking about the death and burial of Jesus, and then we're talking about the resurrection. Of, you don't wanna miss this, guys. But listen how they justify, they justify, the, the religious leaders of the day justify on page 361. One of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You don't realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation 
perish. What's, what's, what's happening here? This leader is going, there is an uprising taking place. In this region of, of, of Jerusalem, down, down here, this, this, this area of Jerusalem, the whole region of Judea, in fact, the whole Israel, the whole then known world was, was getting really excited about Jesus. And their concern was, um, if we let this go, there's going to be a riot. Because you see, the Roman world had occupied uh, uh, Israel at the time. In other words, um, they were controlling this nation. Um, they were living under the Nazi regime. And they had to figure, they, they, they were thinking to themselves, the Nazi regime, it wasn't really the Nazis, stay with me, it was the Roman world. But they were living with this Nazi regime and they were thinking, the Nazi regime, the, the Romans were thinking to themselves, oh, if we don't stop this, these people are gonna get so pumped, they're gonna get so excited, they're gonna revolt against us. So then in Jerusalem, they said, we gotta do something, we gotta kill this man named Jesus. Now, if, if I was on the board of elders with Jesus, the advisory team for Jesus, and we sat down around the conference table, and we understood that the people in Jerusalem, the leaders, were going to kill Jesus, I may make a motion to say, uh, I move that Jesus lay low for the next couple of weeks and don't do any more public teaching. All those in favor say, aye, 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 and there'd be one abstain, and it would be, it would not pass. Because Jesus decides, okay, so they say they're going to kill me. Everybody's getting stirred up in Jerusalem. I'm in Bethany right now. I, I'm, Troy says I should go up north. I should hide out in the mountains. But I'm going to go straight into Jerusalem. I'm going to go into the, the den of lions. And this time, God's not going to shut the mouths of the lions. I'm going to be the one that's going to sacrifice myself in the midst of the lions that are going to savagely tear me, oh man, I hope you're understanding this because this is a lot of fun to teach, tear me apart. Jesus knew what needed to happen in order to save the world. And then on page 362, we're looking at this thing together, the bottom of the page. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished while those who followed him were afraid. Again, they took the 12 aside, that's the disciples. Jesus took them aside and told them what was gonna happen. Here's what he said to them. We're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They'll condemn him to death he will, and, and hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. And three days later, <laughs> three days later, he will rise. Don't you think that that's a pretty clear definition of what's going to happen? And, and, and now Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. There is no backing down. It's one more assertion that he is who he claimed to be. Back then, it was customary that during a time of war, the king, the leader, would ride into the city on a horse or on a steed. But during a time of peace, the king, the leader, would ride into the city on a colt or on a donkey. Let's pick this up. Mark chapter 11. We're going to take a look on, on page 363. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied it and tied to the doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? And they answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. That's pretty cool. When they brought the colt to Jesus, he threw and threw their cloaks over it. He sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches as they had, that they had cut in the fields. 
Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. This was the red carpet treatment. I'm telling you what they did. They pulled out all the stops for Jesus. This is a direct fulfillment of what it said by the prophet Zechariah in the Old Testament, Zechariah 9.9, where hundreds of years earlier it said that the Messiah would come riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And as you read this week, the people got angry, and, or the, the, the religious leaders, let's put the map back up, the religious leaders got even more and more angry at Jesus as he was riding in on the donkey. What's, the, what's up with the donkey thing? Jesus is the king who came to bring peace on earth. He's riding on the donkey. He didn't come riding a horse saying, I'm coming, to, I'm coming to kill and destroy. He said, I'm coming to bring peace to the earth. But in order to bring peace to the earth, he has to do battle on our behalf. So Jesus is riding in. They're getting more and more angry, and they decide it's better for one man to die than it is for there to be a great big, a great big riot. And they tell Jesus, the religious leaders say, Jesus, tell these people to stop crying out to you. And he stops, and he stares at them with, with steel in his eyes, and he says, if they stop crying out to me, these rocks will cry out to me. Oh, wow, what a, what a moment. Time and time again, Jesus drives home that he's not just a good man. He's not just a wise teacher. He is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He is the Messiah and he's calling them out and friends, he's calling you out today as well. He's forcing us to make a decision about his identity. Pastor Tasha, a River Islands campus pastor, and her husband, Michael, are at home, and we bless them, and I'm sure they're watching, but they have COVID, and they're pretty ill right now, and so we're, they're quarantining and doing all the things they need to do, and so uh, we bless them, but, but Tasha has a, she's my daughter, she has a goal this year that she's going to run a half marathon. And when she says run, I mean, she means run. She's going to run a half marathon. I do it, but I just don't, you know, I don't have time. Um, it made me have respect a little bit for this story because I thought about kind of doing this myself. Let me give you an illustration here and explain. Back in 1980, this lady by the name of Rosie Rerise, she competed in the Boston Marathon, 1980. Some of you might, might or might not remember. She competed, but she cheated. You see, she started off running the race. Bang! Off she goes with everybody else. But she took a detour. And she sat, and she waited, and she waited, and she waited. And then for the last mile, she jumped back into the race. How many know that's my kind of marathon? Yes, right? Okay. Maybe the last block, whatever I'm talking about. Anyway, the only problem was she miscalculated. She miscalculated her time, and she ended up finishing so early that everybody was wondering what in the world was going on. I mean, this picture, when she crossed the finish line, acting as if she'd run the 26.2-mile marathon, a, a, a perceptive reporter came up to her as soon as she crossed the finish line and threw the microphone up in her face and he said to her, Madam, 
either you are the fastest woman on the face of the earth or you're a fraud. And when it comes to Jesus Christ, either he is God's son who conquered death or he is the biggest fraud that has successfully pulled off the biggest hoax of all time. But a good man is not an option. How could a good man lie repeatedly about his identity? And so, the question in Caesarea Philippi, that region up north, Jesus asked the disciples, who am I? In Bethany, Jesus used the illustration of his friend Lazarus' death to answer the question, why am I here? But the more important question that Jesus is asking all of us today, you think you're here because of this reason or that reason? You're here because of this. And he's asking you, what is your response? What, what's, what's your response? I was in Israel several years ago, a trip, pastor's trip to explore Israel. It was a fascinating time. We had a, a tour guide. In America, tour guides are, you know, minimum wage people who read a pamphlet or whatever and they know what to tell us. But in, in Israel, it's different. Tour guides, you're, you're typically a PhD. You're a scholar. In this case, we had a scholar that was also had been a retired general in the, in the Israeli army. And he was our tour guide. You have to know the history to be able to, anyway, it's, it's, a, it's actually a really esteemed position in that nation. I thought that was interesting. Our tour guide handed us off to a different tour guide who took us when we went to Bethlehem. And uh, put the map back up for me, would you please? When we got to, to uh, when we got to, um, uh, no, I saw, uh, we got to Bethlehem, all right? So, uh, um, <laughs> so take the map off real quick. I don't want people looking for Bethlehem. <laughs> so we got to Bethlehem and this tour guide takes over. And he is so good, so passionate. Man, he's showing us every small thing about Bethlehem. And the guy is just really impressing me enthusiastic. So find myself walking next to this tour guide as we're heading back toward the bus. And I asked the guy, I can't remember his name, but I asked the guy, I said, are you, are you a follower of Christ? Must be pretty excited to be a follower of Jesus and do this for a living. And he's like, oh no, no, I, I'm, a, I'm a Muslim. The tour guide was just pretending so that he could get a good tip from those of us that he was serving. He had the right answers to all the questions. But to him, it wasn't real. To him, it wasn't personal. He was acting. He deserved an Emmy. This is what he deserved. He was so good at telling the story. I mean, I got to tell you, he was, he was, he was, incredibly good I am not investing my life for an Emmy I am investing my life for a crown and it is my hope that that's your goal in life as well you might be expressive and you might be emotional in the way that you worship God 
and demonstrate your faith. You might be knowledgeable. I have so many people. I've read the Bible cover to cover. First of all, you're probably lying to me. But second of all, if you have, that, that makes you no more a Christian than, than walking into McDonald's makes you a French fry, right? It, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't make you a Christian. Um, you may be able to play the part You might be able to sing the songs. You might be able to fool the people. In fact, you might be so good at what you're doing that other people say about you, I want what they've got. I want to be just like they are. Their faith is so rich and powerful and strong. But on the day of judgment, God will not give to you a crown of life. That is the truth. He might give you an Emmy. Hey, great job. Congratulations. Now depart from me, you worker of iniquity, because I never knew you. It's not good news, but it's the truth. But the good news is we still have, we still have time. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, not just a fan, but a follower of Jesus Christ, it should change the way you act. It should change the way you talk. It should change the way you live. Because if you truly surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you're not on the throne anymore. Rob, you got your car keys? Hand it to me. Can you hand your... Uh, I need your help, brother. Help me with this illustration this morning. Man, if you wouldn't have had your car keys, that would have been a terrible thing, right? So, so I, got, I got car keys here. And it's kind of like when you get saved, it's, uh, it's kind of like you're saying to Jesus, hey, why, don't you, why don't you drive? Why don't you, why don't you drive? I don't, I don't want to drive. And you, you can't... You can't you can't then steer from the back seat. You've got to trust the driver of your life. Can I just be really raw and honest with you at the beginning of this new year? Some of you are living your life that you might just want to turn in your keys. Because you're driving anyway. Either he's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. I don't know what's going on. I don't want to thanks, bro. I don't know what's going on in your life today or what's going on. But Jesus was either a liar or he's crazy or, or, or he's, he's Lord. And we know, I know, not just by faith, but on historical accounts, we know that Jesus was not a liar. We know that he didn't lie. We also know that Jesus was not a lunatic. He wasn't crazy. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to do a cross-off thing here because he wasn't, he wasn't a liar and he wasn't a lunatic. The only viable option, reasonable response, is that Jesus was who he claimed to be. Jesus is Lord. He is the Son of the living God. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the only one who can forgive you And forgive me, all of our sins, not some of them, but all of them, all our sins, all our shortcomings, every one of them. But a good man? Yeah, that's, that's, that's just not, that's just not enough. Would you bow your hearts and your heads with me as we conclude today? No one looking around for just a moment. 
I don't, I don't really know what's going on in your life, but I know that there's something happening inside of you right now. And I'm wondering if, if maybe in your life you're thinking of some things that you, you've taken the keys back. You said, I, I'm in control of this part of my life. I'll, I'll do it my way. I'm in charge. And Jesus is passionately pursuing you. He's been chasing after you for so long. And he wants you to know that your life is safer in his hands than it is in yours. That he loves you with an unending love. In fact, he went to the cross to show his love for us. He died that we may live. And the prayer this morning is, may we choose to honor and glorify Jesus with our choices that we make rather than seeking to please ourselves. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I don't quite know where you're at in your relationship with God. Maybe you have a relationship with Jesus and um, things are going really, really well and you're sold out to the King. I'm so proud of you. Don't doubt that for a moment. Are you perfect? No way. Do you live in grace? Yes, you do. And uh, when you mess up, do you admit it to God? I'm so proud of you. He's forgiving. Maybe, maybe though, you've been really, you qualify for an Emmy today. Now you've got people fooled, but you know deep down inside there's something going on and the longer that something that's going on is there, the, the further it separates you from God. Before, before you know it, you're going to realize that you're so far away from God. Maybe you've never been introduced to Jesus before and you've never really taken time to think about your eternal destiny or what God has for you. He loves you. He's been chasing after you. I'm telling you what, it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter how much money you have at the bank. It doesn't matter how big or small your family is. It doesn't matter how messed up you've been. Jesus loves you and he wants to be in relationship with you and there's only one way to do that you can't pay enough money you can't do enough things for God it'll never get favor with God the only way you do it is by saying to him I'm sorry forgive me of my sins come into my heart change my life and when you do that you're set free you're on a new path you've given the keys completely over to him and he will guide your paths your heads bowed and your eyes closed no matter where you're at today if you'd like to say to the Lord in this new year I commit to you fresh and anew my life is not my own I've been bought with a price I give the keys over to you Jesus I don't want an Emmy I, I want a crown I don't want an Emmy I want a crown I don't want to pretend I want to be real I don't want to lie I want to be authentic Jesus I give my life to you today I'm going to count to three and when I get to three it doesn't matter if you've known Jesus but you're slipping it doesn't matter if you've known Jesus but you slip far away it doesn't matter if you've never known Jesus you want to come to know Jesus today wherever you're at in your life if you're ready to make that commitment and say, okay, Jesus, I get it. I hear the bell. The sirens are sound and the flags are waving. I get the caution light is there. I understand. I submit to you. Here are the keys. Once again, I took them back. Then I'm so sorry. One, two, three. Lift your hand and say, God, forgive me. Thank you. Thank you. All over the place. Come on now, lift those hands. Forgive me, Jesus. Forgive me, Jesus. 
Forgive me, Jesus. Don't hesitate. Put it up. Say, God, forgive me. Jesus, forgive me. Help me, Lord, to live a better life. Help me, Jesus, to serve you in all my ways. Help me, Jesus, to be stronger, more passionate, more courageous in my walk with you. God, I want to serve you with everything inside of me. Now I'd like for everybody in the room to stand. Would you stand all over this place today in honor of our King? Stand to your feet. Man, if you, if you lifted your hand, I want you to pray this prayer. In fact, I'd like everybody to pray this prayer with me. Come on, say it out loud. Dear Jesus, please forgive me of all my sins. Come into my heart and change my life. I commit it all to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, celebrate somebody this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. 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 I kind of like country music. Uh, somebody said, mm, I'm glad. Good. I kind of like country music, so I watched uh, late. We watched the, uh, the uh, Nashville New Year's celebration. I don't know if anybody saw that. Some of y'all want to leave right now, but I don't know. I kind of, I watched it, and it was a celebration, a party in multiple locations all over Nashville. It was pretty powerful. There's need to watch. People were celebrating. People were partying. People were excited. And it pales in comparison to what's happening in the heavenlies today because the Bible says when one person gives their heart to Jesus, all of heaven is rejoicing. There is a party going on in heaven today because of the people that committed their lives to Jesus. What's your next step? Get baptized in water. Be faithful to church. Start reading God's word. Listen to it. Download the YouVersion app. Listen to it. And, and get in relationship with people who know God. We can help you with that. We'd love to talk with you about that further. Campus pastors will be available to chat with you, or I'm available. You can fill out a connect card, or you can connect with us online. Whatever works for you. We're proud of you, and we love you. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you rest, and may he give you peace. God bless you, New Lifers. We love you, love you, love you. Have a great Sunday. Y'all are dismissed. Amen, amen, amen. Mm -hmm.